Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Question for you. Who is your life about? Who is your life really about? For the um, last two weeks, we've been here in Colossians, and we, we've asked first, who are you? What is your true identity? And then last week, we talked about what is your life about? What's your life about? And today, we want to answer the question, who is your life about? Now, that might seem kind of like, a, well, that's kind of a strange question. Who is your life about, right? And, and I think that if we were to say, if I came and said to you today, okay, take out a piece of paper, write it down. I want you to, who is your life supposed to be about? You'd probably get that one right, wouldn't you? you know? Maybe not. Depends how you're thinking about it. And so it seems like kind of an obvious question, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of competition going on for the answer to this question in your life. I mean, our lives can be about ourselves. Our lives can be about somebody else. Our lives can be about God. Our lives could be about Satan. And evil could, could be all those things. But in reality, most people I know would never choose consciously, purposely to have your life be about Satan. You know, you're just not going to go there. You don't want to go there. And the other possibility, you know, we're talking about life being about ourselves, but we say, no, no, I'm living for my family or I'm living for you know, this person or whatever. The reality is, I mean, sometimes, look, sometimes we've got to be rough on ourselves a little bit, right? The reality is that most people who say, well, no, I'm, I'm living for, for this person or I'm living for my family, what's really going on is they're living for themselves because living for that person or living for that, that, their family gives them meaning or purpose and makes them feel better. Do you understand that? I mean... We need to live in ways that are helpful to our families and to the, these people in our lives. We do. But if, if we, you know, think we're living for them, in reality, we aren't. We're living for ourselves. And we're choosing that for ourselves, to be devoted to somebody else. And by the way, you see this in people's lives. Have you ever, ever seen anybody who you realize had an unhealthy devotion to somebody? You ever seen that? And oftentimes there are, you know, you see this in relationships when, when a couple gets together and, and well before their marriage, you can say, whoa, wait a minute, you know, one or the other is living for this other person and they're letting this other person be like God in their lives and then they won't leave when they ought to leave. Oh, it gets really messy. And so we know that, you know, the answer, uh, you know, who our life should be about but really, the tendency is to live for self. That is your natural tendency as a human being. And is that wrong? That's one of those trick questions, right? Because how are you going to answer? You have to qualify your answer for that. Because in a sense, right, should we take care of ourselves? Should we? Yeah, we should take care of ourselves. We should make sure we're rested sufficiently, that we uh, have sufficient nutrition and not too much nutrition. <laughs> uh, we should... You know, the choices we make in life, how we interact with people, say, learning to say no from time to time. You know, all of those things, having good, healthy boundaries, those are all important things. 
And so we say, well, we're taking care of ourselves. But taking care of yourself is different than living for yourself. Because you can live for God, and God will tell you, take care of yourself. You see that? But if you're living for yourself, you've messed it up. And so the question here today is, will your life be about self, or will it be about the Lord? And that's the question we have to ask. And, and it's, it's, it's always a work in progress kind of thing, I know. But we still need to answer this question and keep answering it. So, who is your life about? Who is your life about? Now, once again, I said, you know, if, if, do we know the right answer here? Right? We know the right answer. Your life should be about Jesus. Simple. Done. Let's go get coffee. <laughs> I wish it was that easy sometimes. Although God's, actually the reality of working through all of this is part of how God grows us. So, I guess the struggle has its upside. But there is a struggle for us. So we ask, who is your life about? And when the Bible talks about this idea of self, okay, it doesn't usually use the word self. Sometimes it does. But he uses a different word because here's the issue. Like I already said, you know, taking care of yourself, you know, putting boundaries for yourself to keep yourself healthy, all those things are positive things. But when self acts independently from God. When self, when ourselves, when we live in ways that are not in alignment with what God has said, we're doing our own thing apart from him. And sometimes, by the way, those things can be really good. But anyway, let me just say, so the Bible, when it talks about self, uses the term very often flesh. Flesh, okay? And it's not talking about this, flesh and blood, although that's where we live. It's talking about self acting independently from God, living independently from God, thinking independently of God, doing our own thing. Um, and do you know that that was the original temptation? The temptation that brought sin into the world and all the pain and the suffering and the difficulties that come from it were from this idea of flesh and self acting independently from God. Do you remember what Satan through the serpent, what he tempted Adam and Eve with? It wasn't to eat the fruit. I mean, he wanted them to eat the fruit because that would have been an act of disobedience to God. But let's look, he says, here's what he tells Eve, he says this, and Adam listening, he says, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Does that sound like a bad thing? Well, what makes that bad? is God had told them what? Don't eat of that tree. And the reality is, let me be God. I mean, he is God. You can't keep him from being God, right? But let me be God in your life. Listen to me. He was going to teach them obedience and right and wrong by doing what was right. And Satan comes along and says, no, you can take care of this yourself. Just you go ahead. You make the decision. You will be like God, because what is God's role in our lives? I mean, that's a big question. But it's, he's what? He's the one who gets to say what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, what's profitable, what's not. He's the one who gets to say this is what your life is about. He's the one who gets to say let's make this decision here and that. All of that. And what Satan offered them was you can make those decisions for yourself. 
And so really at the root of almost and maybe every temptation that we ever face comes down to this choice. Is this going to be self or the Lord? Am I going to go with my flesh, what just comes natural to me, independent from God, or am I going to submit and go with the Lord? And so that's the choices. And so what I started to say a little while ago, and I'll say now, is that you can do good things in the flesh. You can do good things and it looks really good and you can even be serving other people, but you're serving yourself. You can do that. We don't want to do that, but it'd be like this. What, what, so I'm up here preaching today and what if my motivation was um, I'm going to make sure that I say things in a certain way so all of these people like me. Have you ever had that temptation in life to say something or not say something because you cared about how this person saw you? felt about you? Right. So it's a real temptation for people. Uh, it's one that I don't feel like I struggle with much at this point in my life. But you know, I still care. <laughs> so the point is the temptation is right there. So I could stand up and I could preach and I could preach this awesome sermon. But if, if I'm doing this independently of God and I'm being motivated by what I'm getting out of it, it's what? Self. It's flesh. And so whatever it is you're doing that's good, you need to check your motives. Why am I doing this? And if your motives need to be adjusted, adjust them. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's what will happen to me for the same kind of thing. And that's that when we find ourselves at the judgment seat of Christ. And remember, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment about whether or not you get into heaven. The only people that show up at the judgment seat of Christ are people who have received Jesus as Savior. Okay, and that you do that by acknowledging you're a sinner, believing Jesus died in your place for your sins, rose again from the dead. Put your faith in him. For that, give your life over to him. So if you've done that, then the judgment seat of Christ where you go, because this is where we get judged for how we lived and we receive rewards or not. You can go through life. You can, go, you can be a part of this church and you can be here every week and you can smile and you can serve and you can you know, live Good outside here. But if you are doing your own thing, independent of God, you're going to get the judgment seat of Christ and the, the picture that's used is that everything gets thrown into fire and to see what it was made out of. And, you know, if, you, if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, then, you know, that is like gold and silver and precious stones and fire doesn't ruin that. It purifies it. But if you're doing things on your own, for your own motivation, you're serving self instead of God, wood, hay, straw, that's what it says. It goes in the fire and it burns up in ashes, gone. So this really does matter, folks, for a lot of reasons. It really matters. So you need to answer the question, be thinking about it, say, who is your life about? Who is your life about Really? So let's go to Colossians again and begin to answer this question. I think we're on page 1353 in the Bible that's under the chairs. And so, I mean, we've been talking about this every week. Who was your life? No, I'm going to go back, Silas. I fooled you there. So, um, when we ask the question, who is your life about, it's, it's really clear in Colossians, because this, this verse is like the theme of Colossians. 
that in all things, what? He may have the preeminence. He's first. Self should not be first. Okay, so that's what we're really focusing on here today. That in all things he may have the preeminence. So, let's look here now in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read uh, verses 13 through 18. Uh, but before we do, let me say, here's what we're going to find there. Okay, here's what we're going to find in this passage. We're going to find that our lives should be about Jesus, and he's going to give us reasons why. First of all, it's because of all the things that he's done for us that we can never do for ourselves. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Silas. Okay. Our lives should be about him because of what he's done for us that nobody else could do. Okay, we're going to see that very clearly here. Second thing is we should, uh, our lives should be about Jesus because he is the creator and ruler of the entire universe. Okay? And then the third one, we should, our lives should be about Jesus because we are inseparably united with him as his, part of his body. Inseparably united with him. Okay, so let's, let's dive in here and uh, dig in to see what he has to say, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the Apostle Paul. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, we should make sure our lives are about Jesus because of something that he's done for us that we could never do. And look at what it is. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would. But he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, do you remember being under the power of darkness? Do you? You know, I mean, I came to Christ when I was 19 years old, and I was very much a very normal 19-year-old and all sorts of things that didn't belong. And, and I didn't have any real awareness that I was under the power of darkness, but I was. My decisions, my motives, my goals, everything were under the control of the enemy. And, and this idea of the power of darkness is the evil, right? Uh, that's, that's in our world. And sometimes, and some of you, if you think back on your life before you came to Christ, Anybody in here today would say, wow, yeah, I remember my life was dark. It was dark. Anybody? Yeah, okay. See? And whether we have that clear remembrance of what that was like or not, that is the truth. We were deceived. We, we couldn't save ourselves. We were sinners before a holy God. Uh, that's, that's a holy, holy, holy God and who will indeed judge sin and did it when he sent Jesus to the cross. And we'll judge ours if we don't know him as Savior. The power of darkness, we could not escape it. There was nothing we could do to get away from it on our own, in our own strength. We had no ability. If you can think of somebody living in the center of North Korea today, do they have freedom? Very little freedom. And I mean, it's a you know, police state and, and literally at night when the satellites go over and take pictures down, North Korea is dark. I mean, it's crazy. 
And I'm not talking about that kind of dispute. I'm saying this, if you can imagine that, that's the way we were in life, in our relationship with God and, and in the world and our relationship with the enemy. We were under his power and we could not possibly get ourselves out. And this is exciting. I, I, I love this because it says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And so this is like, anybody here besides me like a really good story? You like a really good story that's in a movie or a novel, a book. Maybe it's not even a novel. It's, it's nonfiction. And there's a rescue mission. Anybody besides me love that kind of stuff? Oh, man, these guys get together and they plan the mission and they go in and some of them get killed and they, and they, and they rescue the person and I cry at the end of the movie because they rescued them. This is what God has done for us. We're under the power of darkness and he sends his son into the world and to deliver us from it and to rescue us from it. And so there was no way we could have rescued ourselves. No way, but he did it. He delivers from the power of darkness and then conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He just didn't take us out. Okay, you're free, go do your thing. No, he says, no, I'm taking you out of the power of darkness and I am putting you into the kingdom of my son. You, are, you belong here, you are safe here, you can grow here, you can be who I designed you to be here. The King James uh, translation of the Bible, the older English, uses an interesting word. It says that he translated us. Now, having a son-in-law who's from Portugal and a son-in-law who's from Chile, <laughs> how do I do this? I don't know. Um, but this idea of translation has become very real to me from time to time, trying to understand and get this word for that word and figure those things out. But what it means is we take an, uh, an English word and we put it into Portuguese or Spanish or whatever, right? Or the other way. doesn't matter. But the idea is you have this word and now it's this word, but it's the same word, but it's different. And so this is what he's done with us. He saved us. He pulled us out of the power of darkness. He brought us and translated us into the kingdom of the Son. Are we the same people? And I'm, I don't mean same in every way, but are we the same person? We are. But it's different after you receive Christ. You see that? That's why I like, I like that word translate. Same person, but it, there's difference now. He's changed us forever on the inside, made us part of his kingdom. And there's no way, we, we, we didn't deserve that, but he did it for us. And then in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Man, we belonged to the enemy, believe it or not. We were enemies of God, the Bible says. But when it says he redeemed us, that means he bought us, he purchased us. We sang that song, that first song today, we belong to him. He has purchased us. He, 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 he loves us and values us. And then the forgiveness of sins. So how many sins has God forgiven for you? I mean, you can try to count them. Uh, you'll give up. But all of them, right? This is... Once again, it's easy for us to come to church and we know these things and we say these things. Yes, he's forgiven us. But wait, stop and think about it. Every sin. Do you think you've ever done anything wrong that you don't even remember? Yeah. Is it forgiven? Yeah. 
What about the sin you might commit this afternoon? Are you need to beg God, oh please, somehow rather forgive that for me? No, because what? Jesus died for. Did he die for your future sins? Did he? How many of your sins were in the future? See, we have this benefit. We weren't alive when Jesus died. Because, so how many of your sins were in the future when Jesus died for you? All of them. See what I mean? That's, that's amazing. All forgiven. And if you want to say, oh, good, I can go out and live however I want, then you don't understand. You haven't received Christ because it just does, that changes you. You don't want to do that. And so, because of what Jesus has done for us, shouldn't we live for him? And you think of what he's done for you. Yes, I want to live for you. It's you I want to know about. It's your things I want to do because, man, it is just amazing. All right, so now let's look again here in verse 15. And uh, this is the idea that we ought to um, live our lives for the Lord because he's the creator and ruler of the entire universe. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Okay, let's, this is one phrase at a time. He is the image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. You can't see him. He became a human being, the son of God, became a human being, and you could see him. Right? And so if you want to know what God is like, I mean, you can look at creation and learn all sorts of things, but I mean, if you want to know what God is like when it comes to character and values. Where do you want to look? Look at Jesus. You can see him. Now, I know he's not alive. We can't see him, but we can see him, right? It says he is the image of the invisible God. So this is how we can see him. And he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, let me be really clear that what this firstborn is referring to, it's, it's like a, a rank or a title. It's not that Jesus somehow rather came, I mean, that the son of God came into being. He always existed with the father. So firstborn is a rank. So Jesus is what? Over all. Over everything in the entire universe. Isn't it amazing? Have you seen the pictures from the new telescope? Have you? I don't know what telescope. The Webb telescope. And so they have, but they had the Hubble, which was, you know, telescope was amazing. We saw so many new things and all that. But then they went with the new telescope, and it's much better, they focused on these little tiny areas that were black. According to the Hubble, there's nothing there. And then they zoom in, and they find that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies. In that. I mean, how big is the universe? Jesus is over all of it. He's the firstborn over all of it. He's the, the one who is responsible for it. Overseeing it. And then he goes, continues, says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. He is the creator. And by the way, if you, just you generically, if you do not acknowledge him as the creator, eventually your life will be in a world of hurt. And when this life is over, it'll be even worse. But Romans 1 is very clear. When people and society reject Jesus as creator, a whole long list of things begins to happen. And so we need to acknowledge him as the creator, the designer of all of these things. And all the things that are in heaven and that are on earth, everything that's here, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Here he's talking about the unseen world. He's talking about angelic beings. At this point, he's talking about demonic beings. It's all the, he didn't make demons, but he made angels. I'm getting, that's my class today. I better stop. But he made the unseen world we still don't see, which is just as real, and it's there. And then he says this, all things were created through him that could be translated by him. All things were created through him and, what's the next two words? For him. All of it for him. Does that include the moon? Does that include me? And you. We were made for him, for his purposes, and his purposes are good. But we were made for him, so our lives ought to be about him, because we were made for that. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And so when we read in the beginning of Genesis, which says, in the beginning, God, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God, he was in the beginning, he was there, and by him all things consist. Do you understand that if Jesus, the Son of God, one day said, you know, I'm done with this, it would be gone. We'd all, it'd just be all done and gone. He's the one who holds it all together. He's the one who keeps everything working the way it's supposed to be with respect to the natural laws. All that kind of, you know, he's the one who does that. And I could geek out on you in a few science things. I'm not going to do that today. All right, so it only makes sense for us to live our lives for him because he's, you know, the creator of everything that we see and everywhere we go. And then finally, the third one, we should, uh, well, hang on, let me, I want to share a verse with you. Go ahead and put it up there if you would. David said, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? One of the things we learn from looking at space and, and with the new telescopes is that we're not very big. <laughs> In the overall scheme of things, how big are we? Like, you know, I mean, the tiniest, tiniest you could ever imagine. What's our significance? And yet God what? He knows each of us. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you struggle with. He knows the, 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 the dreams that you have. He knows the obstacles. He knows all of it and he cares. Remember he said, when Jesus hangs on the cross and when he takes that guilt and the burden and the wickedness of sin upon himself, do you remember what he cries out to the Father? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow or other there is a, this tearing as he becomes sin for us, the Bible says. And then to think that this is, he did this for me, and he did it for you. And who are we? Right? But he says, yeah, you matter. So we ought to let the universe motivate us to do this. So now let's go to the next one. This idea is that we, we should live our lives for him because we are inseparably united with him as his body. Look here, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So head of the body, the church. And again, he's, he's not only the beginning of creation, he's the beginning of the church. And the firstborn from the dead. Here we do get a sense of order first. He was the first to rise like we will all rise. Okay? He is the firstborn from the dead. But the head of the body, the church. So let's think about this just a little bit. In fact, let's look at a passage of Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in talking about this, says this, for by, one, go ahead, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. And then he says, you are the body of Christ and members individually. All right, think about your body. Uh, which part would you like to give up? And not replace. I mean, who's going to take it away and go? I, I kind of, I'm kind of fond of my body. And there are things about my body I don't like, right? I'd like to see changed. But, you know, I mean, so I, I would like this stomach to be changed a little bit. But I don't want it to be gone. I mean, like, I have no more stomach. I, yeah, that wouldn't, it's just, I don't want to give up anything. That's you, you know? And we are his body. So we are inseparably connected. I mean, I, I don't have any problem getting up in the morning, getting out of bed, and go, hey, wait, 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 where's my arm? <laughs> no, it's here, right? And that's the way we are with him. We are inseparably connected with him. When we receive Jesus as Savior, we're put into him, into the body. We are the body of Christ. And so that means that when, it's a crazy picture, but that means that the picture is when I get out of bed in the morning that my arm says, no, I'm going to stay in bed. See you later. That's stupid, right? Well, I'm the body of Christ, so when Jesus wants to go do something in, with me, I said, what? I'm part of his body. I'm, I'm inseparably united with him. And so when we don't do that, and there's often that we don't, when we're living for ourselves, we've got the wrong motives, we aren't paying attention, whatever, it's like we're just working against who we really are and what our relationship is really like. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. We do it, and that's what sin's about. It's deceitful and damaging and all sorts of things. But so we are inseparably united with him. And I think sometimes this idea of being the body of Christ, we don't get it. This idea of Romans, the Apostle Paul says that we are united together. We are in union with Jesus. That is such good news. He hung on the cross and said, why have you forsaken me? And then he tells us later in the scriptures, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, is that good news? Is that good news, Dave? That's good news. He's not forsaking us. We can try to forsake him, but he's not forsaking us. And so this idea of being the body, part of the body, being the church, is extremely significant. It's more significant than we realize, because we tend to think, oh, it's a place you go, or some people you're part of. Yeah, yeah. No, it's much more significant. Let me tell you what, uh, show you what the Apostle Paul said about the significance of the church, just in one place. He said, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Endless treasures available to you. 
I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. What plan? Well, the gospel and all that, but more specifically, go ahead. God's purpose in all this was to use what? The church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's showing his wisdom, not just to us, not just to the world, but to the angelic beings. I heard a guy recently, and I just, I just, I say I just happened on, God works, right? I just happened uh, yesterday to be driving to pick up Amber and Eduardo to take them to the airport, turn on the radio, Christian radio, and the guy was talking about angels, and he was talking about how he says angels come to church with us to learn God's wisdom in the church. That's something to think about, isn't it? How important is the church? It's how God intends to display his wisdom to the world that we see and to the world that we don't see. This is his eternal plan. And he carried out through Christ. And then just the blessing for us because of Christ and our faith in him, the fact that we're united with him, he will never leave us, forsake us. We can always come boldly. We can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Oh man, let's don't devalue what, what we have in our relationship with Christ and as with the body of Christ and each other. And in Ephesians, he talks about, hey, I want you to understand what your inheritance is in each other. That we have an inheritance here. And you know, it's easy for us to just, if we aren't careful, to devalue that. And we don't do it on purpose, but it happens. Don't devalue that. Today, when you're interacting with people, try to think, wait a minute, wow, this person is here and I'm united with them and we're all in this together. And, and this person's really different than me. In fact, I think they're kind of weird. I don't understand them all, but there's something here. I have a relationship with this person and so does Jesus and we share that relationship. You see what I'm saying? Let it start to change how you view people and interact with them. And so our lives should be about Jesus because of what he's done for us that we could have never done, nobody else could have ever done because he's the creator and ruler of the universe, he's over all. And because we're inseparably united with him in his body. There's one last thing we need to look at today. There in verse 18, the last phrase, <coughs> which we already mentioned earlier, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. So these are all reasons why he should have the preeminence. But there's a word there that's very instructive. And sometimes we see words in English and we don't know how significant they are or not, but this one is. That all things he may have the preeminence. This idea of may can be the idea of permission, right? Because how many of you ever told your kids or heard from a teacher and you said, can I go outside? And they said to you what? Yes, you, you can, but you aren't allowed to. You may not, right? May I go outside? There's the question, see? Because what does may communicate? It's not settled, is it? It's not settled. 
Should Jesus have the preeminence in all things? A non-trick question. Should he have preeminence in all things? Then why didn't the Holy Spirit lead Paul to write that? That in all things, he has the preeminence. Because he's put this in our lap. He's made us beings who can freely choose. And he said, here's all the reasons why Jesus should be preeminent in your life. But you've got to decide that that's so. You need to decide once and for all by receiving Christ, and then you need to remind yourself of that decision on a regular basis. Because it, it, it really kind of, when I looked at this closely and looked it up, and yeah, the Greek uh, verbs are in this mood and all this kind of stuff, that this is just... Should be, but he won't be unless you choose for him to be. Why? I can't, it's hard to even fathom that God, I mean, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? There will come a day when he will have preeminence in your life one way or another. But right now, he gives you that choice. So what do you choose? I encourage you to choose, you know, that Okay, in my daily life, as I walk through life, I am choosing to give the Lord preeminence. He's going to come first. In my work that I do, when I go to my employer and work, I'm going to live the way, I'm going to work the way the Lord has told me to do, because I'm going to make sure he has the preeminence in my life. When I have to make a decision about my finances, I'm going to say, Lord, what do you want? I'm going to have him have the preeminence in my life. In my marriage relationship, when my spouse is not everything I would like him or her to be, I'm, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me to do. I'm going to give you the preeminence in my life. And, and we, every moment on the way, and don't, this isn't something you have to agonize over all the time. No, you settle it and you keep working on it and you evaluate, wait, what should I do here and why? Well, I'm I want Jesus to have preeminence. What would that look like here? What would that look like? But you got to choose. So let's, let's pray. Father, I come to you and thank you so much for all that you've done for us in Christ and all the reasons that we ought to freely give him the preeminence in our lives. And I'm a little overwhelmed, maybe a lot overwhelmed, Father, by the fact that you make his preeminence at some point dependent on whether or not I submit, whether or not I surrender. So Father, I pray that you will help me, again, more than before, to grow in this, to be mindful of giving your son preeminence in my life. When I have the decisions to make, being aware of that. Please bring that to mind. I pray you do the same for each of us here, for those watching. I pray, Lord, that anyone who has not settled this issue once and for all by receiving your son as Savior would, would do so right now, or at least would reach out and ask for help to understand that. And so, Father, we, I think I speak for most of us, if not all of us, we want to say to you that it is right that your son has his preem the preeminence in our lives. And we're choosing now to let him have the preeminence in our lives. 
And you know us, Lord. You know our weaknesses, our struggles, and where we will fail in that. But we ask you to work and grow us in it so that more and more he will have the preeminence in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.